We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by DoorDash, NFL Sunday Ticket, and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and the Lakers uh, have defeated the Houston Rockets in Game 2, 117-109. to 109. In what was a nerve-wracking game, Lakers went up by as many as 21 points in the first half, only to see it go away very quickly in the third quarter. They stemmed the tide toward the end of the third, and then a really uh, an excellent fourth quarter, especially on the defensive end holding the Houston Rockets to just 17 points in that fourth to pull out the win. So uh, we went through a lot of ups and downs in that game. Um, I'd I'd like to start with the Lakers' defensive strategy on uh, on James Harden and some of the adjustments that they made. We, uh, in game one, we trapped them a little bit, and then uh, that was what was most effective in game one. And in game two, that worked very well in the first quarter especially but Houston adjusted as that went on and then we started to throw 
different looks at them. So uh, just very fascinating game, fascinating to watch playoff basketball and how coaches adjust to each other. What did you see from us on the defensive end with respect to our approach on Harden? And I also want to get into Westbrook a bit as well. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, clearly I thought that they were trying to not show Harden the same look too often in a row. And then when they did start to show it to him, <laughs> then he he's too good for that. And right, he sort like, of showed that, okay, yeah, like you've gone to that pitch a couple too many times now, and this <laughs> one's going over the fence because I'm that good. Um, but they did show... They showed him some traps. They came from different spots on the floor. Um, they were they they were doing something interesting with their traps. In that Harden loves to play isolation ball, which isn't breaking news. But when he doesn't need to call a screen, he like he basically just camps up high and is just like, "Oh well, I've got you already in an mm-hmm. isolation spot." And one thing that the Lakers were doing was when he was just sort of going towards another player, like another Rocket player, the defender of that second player was always willing to sort of jump up and show that early pressure. And I think that that surprised Harden in the first part of the game because he's like, what the hell? Like, no one really throws the trap at me this way. They typically like to set it up a little bit more in order to have the defense in a better position to rotate behind that. And and, and so early on, I thought that that worked. Um, They were not giving him the drive as much early in the game, the way that they were to start game one. And and so it was just, I don't want to say a totally different look from, from the first, first, first game, but there was a lot of variance that did not exist in game one where he found his rhythm almost instantly that game. Yeah. I I, I thought we did a good job job of hard doubling in that first quarter. Yeah. Uh, in that and that's the when Harden Harden does better against kind of soft doubles. And so the benefit of soft doubling, which means like kind of going halfway there is that when the pass gets kicked out you can rotate to shooters faster right like you haven't totally committed to him the problem with that is that it gives him a clean passing lane and it's more of a like quarterback without any without facing facing a pass rush pass rush that's our one nfl uh analogy for although you still have plenty of time i'm sure you'll mix one in um yeah like a quarterback without facing a pass rush right and so he can get more velocity on the pass uh with the lakers and the length that we have especially who would be trapping in most situations is a bigger guy it makes it makes him put a little more air under the ball makes him a little less accurate with his passes and that in and of itself gives you time to rotate, right? If a guy has to reach over across his body rather than catching a pass right in his shot pocket, that's that extra split second that makes a difference. This game, though, was really... uh, I I loved our rotations off of those traps in the first half. Um, There were a few possessions where we, like, played great defense, uh, did a great job of that for, like, 20 seconds. And what Houston's fantastic at is seeking that out and moving the ball and driving and kicking and like really being patient. And the this was another game, you know, our first pod, the uh, the big theme was attention to detail. Yeah. Right? And this game was a microcosm of, of, of that in that 
the Lakers, we saw in that first quarter and in that the end of the first quarter too, right? At, that we went on a, on a great run toward toward the end of that quarter. Uh, but we saw guys really focused on what their job was. Uh, we take we were taking attention away from Westbrook so that we could devote it elsewhere. And, yeah. and that was a thing. We'll get into more of that in a second. But that was what it was supposed to look like, right? Like that's what the... It's, it's different than funneling him with a single player, but getting them to the point where Robert Covington, all PJ Tucker, all those guys are attacking closeouts and having to drive and kick themselves. Yeah. Those are the, those are the victories, right? When we can get them doing that. Yeah, I thought that when the Lakers defense was sharp and there were long stretches where it was sharp this game, both in the first, first half and then I thought, again, some of it returned in the fourth quarter. It... It was very much, we know who we're playing against and all five players who were on the floor, we understand what their strengths are and we understand how to rotate to these guys, where the rotations are going to go even within the detail of which hand am I closing out to, how am I trying to Mm -hmm. stick with you. Like Robert Covington is a great example here. You have to run Robert Covington off of the line. And there are times where he is very good at like pump faking and then sidestepping. Like Mm -hmm. he, he makes it look like he's going to get that shot off and then he just pump fakes you and then you fly by, right? The Lakers had very few flyby closeouts against Robert Covington this game, mm-hmm. which to me is like KYP, like know your personnel. Mm-hmm. It is it is showing that you have an understanding of who you're closing out against and, and what you want them to do after you're already there, right? Because the, Caruso had a really great one in that first first half where he closed out strong to Covington's right hand and was contesting with his left hand, he he actually went by Covington, and Covington was about to reload and shoot the jumper again, but then Caruso mm-hmm. came back mm-hmm. and put his hand up again from sort of the side and behind and made Covington put the ball on the floor and then pass it back out. And that's what you have to do specifically to Robert Covington in order right. to limit him, right? And, right. And, and it's a different closeout to P.J. Tucker, which is a different and, closeout to Eric Gordon, who we did a terrible job on, I thought. Um, and it's a the, different closeout to Russell Westbrook because you have to close out on Westbrook, right? Like, you're not just going to stand there and and lay 18 feet off of him because Westbrook is is aggressive enough where he will then see that runway and mm-hmm. use that as a driving angle, right? So it's like you have to close out on him, but you close out short, you close out in a certain direction in order to maintain driving lane discipline so that then you can then funnel him because he's the player you do want to funnel. And I thought that the way that they defended Westbrook contributed to some of the sloppiness that he exhibited as a ball handler as and as a passer, which then created turnovers and missed shots, which fuels the strongest parts of the Lakers offensive game, right? Which is transition and scoring in early offense mm-hmm. opportunities against a defense that's that's not yet set. And that's where the Lakers were able to sort of 
create that domino and that cascading effect in that first half. And that's really how they got up by by 20 points. They were just super sharp defensively, and that led to defensive rebounds and turnovers, which then the Lakers were then just pushing the other way, mm-hmm. and, and that's when they're at their best. Yeah, it, it was a great example of when we lock in for all 24 seconds and everybody on the court is, it. this doesn't work if one guy is slow, if one di- guy's mind is drifting, if he's not focused on, on this, but if we're locked in, we're too big and fast for them to get the type of looks that they want. Like they had a couple of three-point attempts where it wasn't a sidestep after a flyby, but it was a guy like having to adjust because it was a end of the shot clock situation right they're usually going to move it but we've played it so you know it's so it's a Covington you know two steps to the right and and making it you know and and letting it fly and those are always going to going to be off um with Westbrook I thought we did a fascinating job with him so AD has been matched up with him from jump which I've loved he was the guy that I thought when it was a close game down the stretch and we needed to stop, AD would guard him, but he's just defending him from the beginning. In a lot of ways, offensively, Westbrook is their five in that he's the one guy that you can take attention off on the perimeter. They combat that in a couple of different ways. They had him in the dunker spot a lot in the second half. This was an adjustment in that third quarter uh, that they made, especially rather than on the perimeter. When he is on the perimeter, you alluded to this, and we send a little more attention to Harden. Westbrook actually backs up a couple of feet behind the three-point line when he stations so that he can get ahead of steam. And when we send a little help that way, Harden's going to skip it that way to Russ, who's flying like a bat out of hell right toward the basket, and you've got to recover from that help you were giving to or rotate over. And I I thought we did an excellent job of helping off of Russ in that first quarter and kind of using some of the attention that we gave uh, elsewhere. We actually... We struggled when he wasn't in the game, and they had five yeah. legit shooters in there, and that was something something we had uh, difficulty with. What did you see with our approach with Westbrook specifically? I'm, I'm, I mean, just some of the stuff that we've already said, right? But look, this was also, and I don't want to give all of the credit here to the Lakers' defense. This was also another one of those Westbrook games where, where he's just a little wild. He is a little bit frenetic, and like, like before we started recording, you had said, uh, "Hey, D, check the gain on your mic. You're starting to like, like uh, reverberate some, uh-huh, right? Little, like, like yeah, you're, you're coming you're in a little hot, right?" Uh-huh. And that was Westbrook. This like, like this game, his his mic volume was just a little bit too high. He was coming uh-huh. a little hot, <laughs> and and, yeah. and he and he was just off. And, and the difference between this game and game one was that he was able to sort of channel that energy positively in game one and find his rhythm and then it fueled confidence for him and so the jumper then started to fall and then he started to play with a little bit more swagger and it was a little bit like these dudes can't touch me and Mm -hmm. and it was that sort of energy right but this game he didn't have that and I thought what the Lakers were doing was contributing to that frustration some right and and they were putting him in more decision-making positions um but with but with no clear openings, like one of the things I thought they really did with with Russ, well with Westbrook, was a they showed him a couple of traps, which I 
the same way that they did Harden. They didn't do it a lot, but they did show him a couple, and that sort of threw him off his game and put him on his heels a little bit. And the second thing I thought that they did well was they weren't always rotating to him from the backside on drives, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, like Anthony Davis is on you. I I think the Lakers made a specific decision. Like Anthony Davis is guarding this dude. Mm-hmm. We're not going to help on drives. Nor with should him. we. Nor and, should we. And with that, they were saying to themselves, "Now we're going to cover up on shooters, and we're going to shut down some of those passing angles for you." And he got sloppy with his mm-hmm. passes, and a few different times he threw the ball just right to Lakers because. He was expecting that corner man to sink on the drive, but he didn't. And so mm-hmm. he threw it to the corner guy still, and it's KCP stand standing there, or it's Danny Greenstand standing there. And I thought that the Lakers were very smart in how they did help initially on on Russ, like aggressively at the point of attack, but softly on his drives, which then put him in decision in like shot pass decisions that I don't think he's had to make too many times during Mm -hmm. these, these playoffs. And he did not handle it well. No, certainly not. Um, And the Lakers built a 16 point halftime lead behind a lot of this defensive performance Um, started slipping a little bit in the second quarter. And then boy, did that lead go quickly in the third quarter. Uh, We're up by 16 in the blink of an eye. It was down to seven and the three straight threes, man, like three straight threes. And that's the Rockets figured it out. They figured it out. It's it's partially that. Yes, it's partially that. I want to talk about some of the adjustments D'Antoni made, but also it, it, those were examples of like the Lakers kept making mistakes, right? Like yeah. they kept making mental mistakes. Like how many threes does Eric Gordon have to hit off? You know what I mean? Like how many? You mentioned some of the like doubles of Westbrook, and like I I don't entirely agree that that it was that it's helpful. Because like that becomes rotation and and it, it ends up being an open three right and the Rockets get into a rhythm and we were talking before we hopped on about how the Lakers and Rockets both have a haymaker yeah it, they're just very different haymakers and that was the Rockets haymaker in the third quarter and we were reeling and um, what what did you see in for one I thought DeAntoni made some adjustments and we were sloppy what did you see specifically from the Rockets on how they kind of shifted things in their favor. Well, I thought that they did a much better job spacing the floor like mm-hmm. in in that third third quarter and they did a much better job anticipating that the doubles were going to come and and creating passing angles in order to zip the ball around um I also thought too that they were patient with making some of their passes like they weren't going for the home run mm-hmm. and like oh I'm I'm open this time they knew the Lakers were going to have to rotate um I thought they did a pretty good job of like stringing things out a little yeah, bit so more I was gonna say that those dribble drags so that's that's when we were hard we were doubling Harden and especially you can do this with soft doubles Harden would back dribble right he's gonna yeah. back up away from the, the double team and so what happens is 
after he dribble drags, he's going to make that pass. And because he backed up and brought those two defenders with him, there's better spacing because everybody on defense has a farther distance to travel to recover after that, right? And they were just picking his part when you've got Eric Gordon on the wing, who's a great wing shooter, and then P.J. Tucker in the court. So we'd trap on one side of the court, and they'd make sure Gordon's on the opposite wing, Tucker's on the opposite wing, and it's one against two in that, and in, in two guys who are great at that particular shot and were were on fire at that that particular time it was i also think too that the lakers did a i thought a poor job of making decisions on when to double and determining when and where the threat was and great point and it's just like they sort of like you know when you've been driving for a really long time, right? Like, oh, I'm driving from L.A. to, like, the Bay Area, and for some reason, and you're on the 5. And so the five's just this boring-ass, empty drive. There's nothing go, go, going <laughs> yes. on. And, and early on, you're sort of engaged, right? You're like, oh, I'm listening to the Laker Film Room podcast. Listen to Pete. He's making a great point. This is fantastic. Right. And then about three quarters of the way through your drive, you sort of start to drift a little bit. And you're like, yeah, that five drive is brutal, man. Yeah. Like you're daydreaming a little bit. And 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 you try to put another podcast on, but it's not hitting the same. Right. Uh (laughs) Then suddenly you feel the bumps on your tire. I felt like that's what the Lakers were doing a little bit. They were they it had sort of gotten rote to them and it was a little bit paint by numbers for them. And they were like, Oh, I'm supposed to go double James Harden now. And it didn't work like the rock because they weren't as sharp with it. Those doubles are, were indicative of everything, the closeouts, the rotations, all of that in that the Lakers have very, like when they get a big lead, they've got, they have this habit of like, oh, we got this. They've got this, we got this type of energy, right? Like, we're fine. And like, absolutely not with the Rockets. The moment you do that with the Rockets, they are going to smoke you. And we did that. And before we knew what hit us, it was a tie game in that third quarter, in large part because it's 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 about us. It's about, you know, way more than, than the lineups that we play, way more than schematic stuff. It's we... Every guy needs to lock in. And if we do that, I, gosh, I, and I know that sounds so like. It's cliche. You know, just, it's cliche, like, but, you know, but this like, goes, oh, this is. Focus, play hard. Like these are, these are like. Well, it's hard to do that. Locker, th- those are high school right. locker room speeches, right? Like, right. But but what it is is that like the the manifestation of a lack of focus with this team is you have to travel too much distance you that's you have to travel a ton of distance to defend the Rockets well and and now we are I I believe very equipped to do it because of the size and speed that we have that in terms of our rotations and what we can do on the perimeter so you saw in this game like we can defend them really well but the moment. You're a split second late because you're like, oh, yeah, I need to go here, right? Like, you're not mentally engaged and anticipating. And what's what's so just brilliant about basketball is that, say, Harden's got the ball. That could go to one of any four different guys. And if you're an individual on the court, that's four different rotations, four different places that you have to go and go quickly. And the, the old coach's phrase is, move while the ball is in the air on defense. The... A bad defense will move on the catch, right? So 
Harden swings the ball over to Robert Covington, and as Covington's catching it, that's when we're rotating. That's too late. You've got to be watching Harden and, and really locking in and bouncing on the balls of your feet. So whichever way that goes, as the ball's in the air, you're busting your ass to say he throws a skip pass. You're rotating from strong side to weak side, and and closing out, you know, and helping that guy who's chasing someone off the three-point line, rotating over to make sure the guy who attacked the closeout didn't get all the way to the basket. And so there was just. This is a team that we have to cover so much different distance that the difference between being mentally engaged and not is the difference between an open three and and not, which is the, the what they're trying to do on, on a very fundamental level. And and so it's to me it's it's less about scheme and more about that ability for every guy on the court to be because like when we were when we were locked in in this game we we handled them pretty well in this but we just had that big letdown in that third quarter and this is a team that bad habit of ours almost bit us in the butt in in this game yeah like like look man and i it a basketball game's a, like a funny thing right because the you travel down a certain path and and each successive move then is sort of like one of those choose your own adventure books, right? Like, like do the Lakers sort of have that type of third quarter letdown if they already hadn't been up by 20, 20 points and went no. to the quarter with a 16 point lead? Probably not, right? Mm-hmm. But along the same lines, if the Lakers hadn't built up that lead, then if the Rockets do come out and play with that sort of level and efficiency, then the Lakers aren't down by three or mm-hmm. two to enter the fourth quarter, right? They're down by ten eight or mm-hmm. nine or ten, and it's a whole mm-hmm. different ball game. And so the so the Lakers were impressive on multiple levels today. And I felt like we just spent a half a podcast or sort of breaking down some of the things that like the that Houston did really well and sort of the pressure that they put on the Lakers this game too, right? I think the second half of the pod, we're likely going to talk a lot more about what the Lakers did really well. Mm-hmm. But before we even get to that, I just wanted to say that this was a really resilient game from the mm-hmm. Lakers today, right? They were down 0-1. Houston clearly came into this game with their chest, pu- with their chest puffed out. They And Houston plays like that regardless. We saw it again in the third third quarter, even though they're down by dub double digits they, they they play with that confidence for a reason it's because they are good they're a really good basketball team but the lakers they were resilient this game they they came in focused and determined to execute their game plan and and, and play with with speed and sharpness and then in the fourth quarter they after they could have folded and mm-hmm. after they could have said, like, bad body language team, right? Like, they could have hung their head some, very much like they did um, after Houston pushed it to 15 in the fourth quarter of game one, right? It, it, it very much could have been, like, we just got, we, we just got kicked, like, like, kicked in the teeth. It's time to go sit in the corner for a little while. Instead, they turned it around, and and, and they said no, like, we're going to come back. We're going to do get back to what we did earlier in the game in order to play some of our best best basketball. And instead, it was them who found themselves again back up by eight or ten points. And and 
it's that sort of mental toughness that was maybe questioned some after game one that showed up again, which is something that they've done a lot this year. Yeah, they they said it themselves, right? Like they did not bring bring the heat and intensity that they needed to. Uh, one last thing before we uh, move to the second segment, where we're going to talk more about the Lakers and their and some individual performances. The Lakers went to a one two two zone in yeah. the fourth quarter. You might call it a three two zone. It depends on the on the coach. But and so what that means is that there's one person. Uh, on the ball in the middle of the court, right? If the ball's in the middle of the court, one person on the ball, uh, two at the elbows, and two on like around around the block, right? Yeah, and the low like the low block area, the the bottom lane line where you would probably be if you were defending a free throw rebound, like if you were the free right. throw rebounder on defense. And and you had an inside position, exactly. Yeah, inside now, position, that's right. You're going to be a little more stretched out in that. You're not going to be standing on the block against Team Mike Houston that goes five out. But I thought it was a really interesting adjustment because I love zone defenses. I love seeing it more and more in the NBA. And the, the thing about zones is they're weak where players are not, which is so if in a 1 2 2 zone, you're going to be weak in the middle of it, right? Uh, but the way you so you so so this is the the concept is that you want on offense you want to have a two guard front against a one guard front defensively or one guard front against a two guard front defensively right so if they're running a two three zone you want one guy up top now what Houston does is so it's almost a one two two on offense and that's good for a defense to match up right so it's Harden up top or on the wing right but two corners two wings and that's generally and that matches the setup right those guys on the elbows they're closing yeah. out to the wing shooters those guys now this is difficult but where so it's it's weak in the middle the one two two and it's weak in the corners because of the distance that you have to close out however if anthony davis or even kyle kuzma is one of those guys down low they can cover that distance better than most so you're not as weak on those corner threes as you were and you saw in that fourth quarter we didn't give up as many of those we didn't and they weren't as high quality well it was the play that stood out to me when the lakers were in that one two two zone was was actually the way that um, it was the play where LeBron blocked Russ. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? And he swatted mm-hmm. it to like the right side of the court and, and, and out of bounds. LeBron was the one covering the corner there. Mm-hmm. And he... Oh, another one. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And, yeah. and he peeled off. He peeled off. And when Russ drove, the, the guy who was defending the ball at the point of attack, he... He peeled off to the corner, and then LeBron replaced, right? Mm-hmm. And so he then trailed Russ and, and, and swatted that. It's very interesting because the Lakers do have the athleticism with guys like Braun and AD and Kuzma. And another benefit of that type of defensive alignment is that it keeps your big players back. And they are, quote unquote, the rim protectors, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so even when the Lakers are playing small, like let's say it's, it's like it's, it's Markeith Morris is one of the guys that's down there. At least he's down there. And sure. he's not up at <laughs> sure. like, like at least and he's not up and, and raised to the level of the ball, right? Where his size is basically like, like not. 
well, it's nullified, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's not going to have the foot speed really to rotate down and challenge shots at the rim right. that way. And so I thought it was a very good strategic adjustment by Vogel to zone up with it. I really think it was more to zone up with his big guys to keep his big guys near the basket, even if they were going to have to cover a lot of ground by trying to get out to the three-point line mm-hmm. at the corner. But that that just plays into a strength that, like, ideally, whatever the the weakness that you're giving up on defense, if you can cover that with personnel, if you have exceptional personnel, you can like make it less of a of a detriment, right? Like, so like a yeah. two three zone, a two three zone against them is probably a really bad idea, right? Because that's their setup is more that one two on the wings. It's it's they're putting players where our defenders are not. But I loved the one two two adjustment, and uh, we've got the speed to pull that off. I loved just showing those different looks. It was really nice to see the Lakers go into that. Uh, so we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna. Talk talk about Anthony Davis, Rajon Rondo, and if we've got time, we'll get to LeBron, just some of the individual Lakers performances. Sundays are coming back with the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash has saved me on many nights where I've been working on an LFR video and haven't had time to make anything, and it's been so convenient to have the food that I want to eat show up at my door, and now they do that in a way where your food will be left safely right outside of your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. You can choose from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. All right, so let's start with Anthony Davis. He finished the night with 34 points and... 10, 10 boards and four assists on 15 of 24 shooting uh, with some really impressive shot making in that. Um, he, he, I thought, asserted himself on the boards more in the offensive boards better than, than in the first game. What do you like about uh, – just what do you see overall with, with AD? Quicker decisions, man. Mm, like mm-hmm. much less – like much less jab, step, jab, step or hold. Let me see what the defense is doing, right? Um and much better reading of where the help was. And I thought that the Lakers did a really good job of sending cutters through as AD had the ball. And so um, those cutters weren't cut cutting through in order to receive a pass or, or anything. Um, they were cut cutting through basically to just occupy a help defender and really turn AD's one-on-one matchup into a one-on-one matchup. Like, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people love to throw that stat out, you know, that um, P.J. Tucker defended Anthony Davis for did hey, did you hear Pete? Like he defended him for 26 possessions uh, I'm, in, I'm aware, well, yeah. well, well, in game one and Anthony Davis didn't score. And, you know, he only took one shot. 
you know why that was? I didn't see one ad in the list basically show the loaded up paint behind him and Mm -hmm. that AD was basically passing the ball because passing the ball in those situations is the right right decision Mm -hmm. unless you're going to shoot like a contested 18 or 20 footer. Which is exactly what the Rockets want. Although he did did do some of that and his shot making on those just been unbelievable. Well, he did do some, some of that, but he did it in the same way that he did it in the Portland series, man, which was basically like, I'm going to rip through or I'm going to attack your front foot. Or I'm going to attack your top foot. With- he needs to get some bounce and rhythm, right? Yes. Like when he's doing that, he's kind of, he's moving and dancing and that, he's a much better shooter that way. He was setting up those plays like like he was doing drill work in the gym, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's not to like diminish what PJ Tucker was doing to not him defensively, but it's just that there is there there's a reason why guys practice that stuff. It's to set up the rhythm and the flow to set up their shot. I can guarantee you James Harden is is up in the gym too doing that pitter-patter thing that he does between the legs with like like with the ball to set up his step back or mm-hmm. to set up his like like his drives those are and here's my football analogy those hey. are the same things that like when a quarterback pats the ball or spins it in his hands right before Get a rhythm. he like mm-hmm. like it's those are all rhythm mechanisms in order to basically set up the thing that you're about to do and, and it's natural it's and and it makes those plays instinctive and the and so what I liked from from AD is that a he was making to me quicker decisions like okay the move here is drive middle and then that will set up my step back or that will set up my spin back baseline no the like the move here is I'm going to stay in this post up and I'm going to drop step baseline and, and and spin out of this coverage like he was he he was putting the defense on their heels rather than than allowing the defense to set the terms of engagement for him. Perfect. Yes. And that was to me the biggest difference. Now the Lake like I said, the Lakers did some stuff to help him with that. I thought them sending cutters through, I thought them doing exchanges on like the weak side, like just a lot of the player movement that wasn't really for for any sort of action or to open anyone up. It was just to occupy the defense to to make AD or to allow AD to play more one-on-one. And he ate up one-on-one coverage. And he didn't do it by physically bowling through through guys. He did some of that to, to Jeff Green. He But he did use his strengths, right? Which is length and quickness and sort of like a shiftiness of body control that allows him to get to different spots on the floor and get up good shots. And then add that to him attacking the backboards and Mm -hmm. and doing a lot of other stuff that is just Anthony Davis stuff. It was just a great AD night, I thought. He's one of the... He's the most graceful big man I think I've ever seen. Like the most graceful player his size in that he's so... Kobe used to talk about the ability, he said this about Kuz, I remember, the ability to disassociate movements. And so it's like, you know, one limb going in this direction, but, it, it you know, when you're watching it, that guy's kind of bendy, right? Like he can yeah. shoot these. And so AD will attack, he had this play in the first quarter where he attacked a closeout from the right side and was driving to his left. 
and jumped off one foot and like brought it back to his right hand and hit the floater over the top. And a lot of the shots that he's making are like shots over the top, but it's shots over the top while he's on the move, right? And establishing that rhythm that you talked about. But the ability to hit these like one footer or like fading away or leaning, it's just like, he makes no sense, man. Like his ability to, to, to do that is just, just boggles my mind. And then on the boards is where he can really be, you know, that's where his physicality can, can come in. Uh, he did one thing too on, they doubled him a, a couple times rather than trying to make that passing read that he's eh, at out of the post. Uh, he would actually use an escape dribble, right? So they'd yes. double team him. They'd double team him. And so he'd dribble out to the perimeter. And as soon as that happens, that the, tells the defender to recover back. Like the double team worked. He's not in the post anymore. But then at that point, AD immediately looks to attack. And that's when he got a couple of those jumpers when he's, he's kind of got ahead of steam, right? Like he's dribbled yeah. out to the perimeter and PJ Tucker has to react to that rather than him being stationary or whomever he's guarding. And I just, I loved some of those small adjustments rather than having him do this thing that he's just like not that great at. If you get him attacking from the perimeter and on the move with a head of steam, that's when he's going over the top of guys, whether it's with a jumper or a floater. Yeah. Like I said, man, like I thought that initially just Playing a little bit quicker and with a bit more assertiveness early on after a catch did wonders for his overall game tonight because AD is a guy who thrives on playing in space, right? And he is good enough against most big guys to create that space himself, just Mm -hmm. like... um, the threat of him working off of the dribble is enough to have a guy like Hassan Whiteside or Yusuf Nurkic play off of him a foot and a half already just based off the fact that he's quick enough to drive by those guys um, with or without a live dribble. Against a P.J. Tucker, though, or even a James Harden or an Eric Gordon, and all of those guys will find themselves on on Anthony Davis at one point or, or another— he needs to sort of get those guys off off of him with the threat of something like, hey, I'm just bigger than you, and when I catch the ball right away, I'm going to show you something. Like, I'm mm-hmm. going to move in this direction. I'm going to make you react to something that I do. Yes. Right? And, and then now, now when that like the possession the defensive possession in the in game 1 that like just made the highlight reels time after time after time after time was when a was when Tucker was sort of sitting on AD's right shoulder and was just like bouncing and like really in his jersey <laughs> uh-huh. and sliding his feet and then AD shot that that airball 18 footer right well this time that was AD doing that to Tucker, it was the opposite. It was AD sort of like showing him quickly, like, oh, I'm going to move you off of me. And then then, then it was AD who then said, okay, well, now I'm going to now get into my move and I'm going to shoot over the top of you. And that's where, that's where the size difference matters, is when AD can get just even like six inches more of space that PJ Tucker does not want to give give him then it doesn't matter if pj tucker has a seven foot foot wingspan right which he does and that's the length that can bother you when he's close enough to you but ad jumps too high on his jumper and he's got enough length and he's got so much length himself that he was just able to get the spots on the floor and 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 just get his his shot off cleanly time after time after time 
um, even when it looked like he was sort of in those bendy positions the way that you were describing that, that's a good i mean that's something he does well though that's good when he's bending and, and dancing and and all of that it's when he's when he's rigid when he's stationary that's when he's at his worst on offense especially when he's on the ball right you get him on the move and we ran like a cross screen uh or like a, a shuffle cut action at the beginning of of the game we you know ran him off of some screens had a couple not too many but a couple of ball screen buckets for him as well but yeah just getting him on the move like that is is just really helpful. And you mentioned part of the reason that worked out that way is it improved spacing. We saw that, uh, you know, there was that clip in game one where LeBron drove into the paint. And it was like Rondo down yeah. there and Dwight. We're going to save Rondo for last, by the way, because that's going to be a fun conversation. But, uh, and, and you saw him, like, the ball got knocked out of bounds, and he was, like, spacing, spacing, right? And he's gesturing that way. The adjustment that we made in this game is we didn't play Dwight. Dwight was yeah. a DNP. I loved our no-big lineups where there where LeBron was on the floor and AD was getting his rest. And these are, I th- I believe it was the last couple minutes of the first quarter. We went on a run there. Let first couple of minutes of the second. Um, and in the fourth quarter, the beginning of the fourth quarter is really where we reclaimed control of the game. Uh, specifically, before we get into LeBron individually, what did you think about that approach of benching Dwight? And Markeith Morris gave us great minutes. We, you know, hopefully this is this happens again. We were 12 of 27, 44% from three. Uh, our shooters played Morris well. Morris was great time. as a shooter. Like, yeah. Like, I mean... I don't think those lineups work the same if Morris isn't scoring as well as he sure. did, right? Mm-hmm. Like scoring the ball, and it, this was the opposite for the Lakers, like in the third quarter, quarter right? Um, scoring the ball allows you to get your defense set. It does not allow Houston to, to, to sort of like dictate the tempo to you. They are, you're not um, facing like live action and in any sort of scramble mode, exactly. Um, I thought one of the big things that w- that showed up in game one is that the combination of Morris and Dwight in the game at the same same time seemed too slow. Too slow. To deal, mm-hmm. Like to deal with like Russ-centric lineups, especially. Bro, I, and that's when that beginning of the fourth quarter and the beginning of the second quarter is when Harden's on the bench, right? Like yes. those are those are lineups when you are, and, and that speed. I remember, you know, in the preview, I was like, I think Morris is going to be an important guy in this series. And then I watched game one, I was like, oh, he's like a half step too slow for this. And, I but had that's mentioned the that to you like in our mm-hmm. preview pod, right? Where I was just like, I'm not sure if Morris but, is going to be able to bring it. But when it was only him out there, mm-hmm. and, and I said this to you on yep. Twitter, yes, when you, you said, no, Dwight so far. And I said, I honestly think that the coaches look like looked at this and said, we can't play both of these dudes mm-hmm. like at the same and, time. They're not. And they picked Morris. Yeah. And, and they picked Morris. And that worked this game because Morris was excellent as a shooter and he did a lot of in-between stuff on offense like he cut well he had he had that dunk finish off of that great pass from 
from LeBron. He got a couple of offensive rebounds by sneaking in from like the corner or just being strong. Yeah, he's also like tall in the pace. He's he's somebody to match up with PJ Tucker on some level of just that like fire hydrant. You know, he's he's less susceptible than our guards and even Anthony Davis, right? To just like that fire hydrant build of Tucker. He can he can body with him a little bit in a way that most of our other front court guys can't. No, well, I mean, Morris is what, like six, seven and a half, six, eight, right? Mm-hmm. Like Tucker is getting underneath even a guy like Dwight Howard, right? Mm-hmm. Because Dwight's like six eleven, like he's six ten, six, well, 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 six eleven. And so, even though Dwight isn't one of those guys who has like a high center of gravity, a guy who's six five is getting underneath a six ten guy every every single time. It's harder for a guy that size to get underneath a player who's Morris's size or right. like LeBron's size. Right. Because those guys are naturally just a little bit lower to the ground. And you can see that with well, with Morris. But I did. I was. I was suspect that Morris would be able to contribute this series, but shooting it the way that he did this game Mm -hmm. is a great sort of like, oh, well. Anything works when you shoot four for four from three or like whatever he ended up shooting, right? Like he was, he was great this game, um, you know, and defensively, I thought some of the issues that he had in game one were not as evident this game. And, and I think that they were likely helped some by playing with a smaller group and, and and a group with a bit more foot speed, right? With like LeBron and Kuz versus like LeBron and Dwight. Mm-hmm. No, that's absolutely, absolutely the case. It was a um, really, I love that adjustment. I love the, you know, that going small with them because we're still big with LeBron. We still have yeah. power on offense. Uh, I think it matches up with them with them very well it's more the like ad no lebron lineups that that can struggle a little yeah. bit but um but i love i love that group can i just say too i know that we need to get to well to rondo but can i also just say like great bounce back game from kyle kuzma oh yeah day man like six or seven from the floor 13 points he hit his only three um he hit some really no. timely buckets too, where like we were reeling and he kept us attached, right? Like it's a four or five point game instead of yeah. seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. Like well, also a too, nice putback. Like, yeah. Four offensive rebounds. Um he did the PJ Tucker a lot, which was crash the offensive boards from the corner. Mm-hmm. And got that put back got dunk, a, yep. And he got a putback dunk. He got a couple like um like kept the ball alive a couple of times. He was just really good this game. Um I thought super engaged defensively as well. Just you, one of those games where, all, all right, like Morris scored 16. That's fantastic. But to get 29 points between Kuzma and another bench player, right? Because Kuzma had, had 13 this game. That's, that's great bench production for the Lakers from a couple of guys, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and they needed that this game um they also needed rondo yes like it like is it rondo time or or it's rondo time let's get on let's no let's let's get to rondo man that's a uh our guy joey ramirez tweeted out that 
Rondo's plus 28 in 29 minutes in this game is the highest plus minus he's had in his 96 games with the Lakers. Uh, he was he was phenomenal in the first half. He was really frustrating in the third quarter, and then yeah. he was really good again in the fourth quarter. Uh, I want to start out with his defense. My feelings about Rondo and my biggest frustrations are are on the defensive end in that it's an it's always been an effort thing, right? It's always been like this is your rotation. You don't you didn't close out here. I'm unhappy about that, right? Or even he, like you're getting screened here and you're not fighting mm-hmm. like like you can't the scheme says get over the top of this, don't gamble, right? Mm-hmm. The the scheme does not say go under and die, right? A- mm-hmm. And so some of it so it's all effort, but when the effort bleeds into scheme adherence, it's like doubly worse. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the few guys on the team that was able to get away with those types of things over the course of the year and still really not have his role impacted at all. And, and I think that that frustrated us to no For end sure. as well. But l- let's get back to the good because I yes. don't want to blow it. So tonight, though, he was phenomenal on the defensive end. He had that that strip of uh, of Harden, right? But that was, you know, he had five steals in this game, and it was indicative of his activity in passing lanes. He had another play where he, like, shot the passing lane and almost got the steal but knocked it out of bounds. And, uh, and or yeah, he grabbed it and threw it and, and into the backcourt. They called it a controlled possession. Um, his engagement on that level and his, his speed... And like, I saw a player who can defend at this level, right? It was not that guy in game one either, by the way, right? Like, if he defends like that, that is a, a game changer in that his ball handling is useful. His pushing the pace in transition is useful. Um, I am I'm really wary of... We saw, like, we lost a little bit of the lead at the end of the game. He hit a big shot. But, like, they started completely abandoning him beyond the three-point line. He's going to have to make more of those wide-open shots. But overall in this game, man, he was he was just just remarkable. How, what did you see on the offensive end specifically, D? Look, man, like, he, he pushed the pace. He mostly eliminated a lot of the... Um, like we had talked about in game one that that Rondo's like um, a risk taker, right? <laughs> and that he didn't have his timing yet. And so <laughs> those those two things combined to to be really hurtful for the Lakers offensively because he was committing too many turnovers. Those are live ball turn turn turnovers as well. And Houston was then able to turn those around and and, and really put the Lakers in troublesome defensive scrambling situations in which Rondo then was not contributing to trying to slow those down because he didn't really necessarily have like that same effort level defensively. Look, Rondo had nine assists this game. He only had a single turnover. Mm-hmm. He moved the ball well. He was making the right decision with with the ball both as a both as a passer and as a shooter he took the shots that were available to him um and he had much more control 
over what things looked like when he was at his best. I thought that this was another game where you saw sort of the best of Rondo and then the the worst, like how he could really hurt the Lakers as mm-hmm. well. But those were much more contained this game to that third quarter stretch. And, um, and overall, man, like I thought that there's maybe... N- so this is true for LeBron for sure, right? But besides LeBron, I don't think that there's a Lakers player who benefits more from them being able to get stops and turn those into like early offense or transition opportunities mm-hmm. than Rondo. He and assisted so- on all four of Morris's threes in that first quarter. Rondo had the assist on all of those. And I think three of them were in transition, right? Where he he does what's called a kickback, right? Where he'll dribble kind of in front of a defender that is assigned to a guy who's coming up court. And he'll kind of, you know, pitch it back and and, uh, hit him in stride so he gets to step into that. He had four assists, again, to, to... Morris on those threes and a lot of those come off of those traps off of those live ball situations off of those points where uh you know we've gotten a stop we've gotten out on the run and again Houston is so much smaller than us that before they get set they really have to collapse into the paint that's the transition concept right is that in when you're in transition defense you want to collapse into the paint and then kind of explode out to shooters and all of that. And that that gives you trailer three opportunities when everybody's like collapsed into the paint like that before they, they spot up. And Rondo did a wonderful job of exploiting what Houston has to do by necessity because they're so small by really collapsing into the paint on trans, in transition defense. And our shooters knock down shots, right? That it's a different story if if Morris doesn't hit hit those shots or if we don't shoot forty four percent from three. Um, was this was this an aberration in that like the threes that that we're hitting like is are, should we be nervous that we needed you know twelve threes on forty four percent to to get this win? I mean, yes and no, right. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure if the Lakers can shoot this well game after game after game. Um, I can tell you that I thought the shot quality or the quality of the threes that they got this game were much higher than the ones they got last game. Mm -hmm. Even if last game they took more threes and KCP, I think he said like, look, I thought those were good, good attempts. Those are the same types of shots we got against Portland. We just have to knock them down. I don't think that was true. I thought that yeah. Houston did a much better job of rotating to them than than the Blazers did, um, and that showed up in their shot accuracy in Game 1. I did not think the quality was the same for those guys. Um, this game, though, I thought that those threes were more open. Um, you, you, you know, it sounds I like I hate to keep ringing this bell or beating this dead horse or whatever, but... It's like, look, man, the Lakers, the Lakers rely on their, on, on their defense to generate their offense, maybe more so than any other team. Oh, that's not true. I think the Bucks are like this too. Sure. And so is Toronto, right? And, and um, like our half court offense is okay, right? But us getting out in transition and early opportunities is huge for us. 
I think that you you know when LeBron and AD are at their best, then the half court offense can create the types of looks that they did against the Blazers. The Blazers mm-hmm. aren't a great defense, but I think that you 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 know when when you don't necessarily have players to guard LeBron or Anthony Davis, then then you're already going to be at such a big disadvantage against the Lakers. Well, Houston does have guys that can defend those guys capably. Like, Mm -hmm. they're not elite individual defenders. Like, I think, well, P.J. Tucker is, but they've got good help guys. They scheme well. They're quick. They do a lot of things. They're strong. So they've got a lot of positive qualities that help them against both, both of those guys. And so transition offense becomes even more important this series because LeBron and AD it's going to wear them out man to have to like score in the half court repeatedly against the type of like rugged defenders that they're facing possession after possession and then have then have a guy like Robert Covington always swooping in to try to like block your shot because Covington's a really wonderful help defender especially as like a weak side shot blocker right mm-hmm. and so he's always lurking so I don't know if it's like um, if this is like repeatable game after game, especially as as it relates to Rondo. But I can tell you this much: I hope he continues to play this hard defensively. I hope he continues to try to pick up James Harden full like full court when will when they're in the game together. I hope that he's as assertive and makes as smart of reads as a help defender, sort of playing free safety the way that he did this game, um, because those things made a difference. And when he was doing that stuff, it was creating positive plays defensively which then fueled the Lakers offense and that's that's so important against this opponent that guy that we saw tonight is a difference maker in what we can do like there's nobody else on the team aside from LeBron who can do that right like Caruso can have his games where he's you know making a great impact plus minus where he's where he's getting a lot of steals he's even had some high assist games recently but that was uh he controlled a lot of the action with again the third quarter stint was had me pulling my hair out but but he was like that is that is a different player that is playoff rondo right that is the guy he can just real quick his contribution cannot only be measured in swag there has to be tangible that's on-court right. production. And that player tonight, that's the dude right there. That's the playoff Rondo we've been we've been hoping for. If we get that guy, it's a game changer for us. The only thing I was going to say is that um, this is where not being scared of the moment intersected with production. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. in a way that then is equals a meaningful contribution towards winning. Like mm-hmm. that's the equation, right? It's it it like it can't be swag plus lazy defense and turnovers. Yeah, that's not equal, that's not right? swaggy like, at all. Yeah, there's no swag no, in that. Yeah. Well, well, I'm just saying that 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 equation is going to be a net negative in the big picture. Hundred percent. Right. But when it's, but when it's, it's the, but when it's that type of confidence and how he carries himself as a player, 
And then that's combined with the type of effort that he gave defensively this game and the type of sort of like self self-assuredness that he that he showed as an offensive player, both as a passer and playmaker for teammates and just reading the general flow of the game that way. But also like, hey man, the game was sort of in the balance there a little bit. Houston sagged off of him by like 10 feet. Mm-hmm. Rondo walked into an it, elbow like jumper? a 17 foot jumper mm-hmm. and buried it. And basically that whatever it was, six point game or seven point game was now points. a nine point game, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever it became. Right, right. And it was a big shot. And that was an important play. And and there is something to that. There's something to saying, I know this is the right play. This is the play that I'm supposed to make. And then actually making it and and succeeding. With it and not right? being not being scared of it, right? Like not being it being too overwhelming. Like, oh, this is a big shot, right? Like you're starting to feel more and more of that. Every possession counts. Nature of the playoffs, and he's not a guy that's gonna gonna shy away from that. One, uh, uh, we were talking about the no big lineup along LeBron. Rondo was part of that. So check out these stats, Darius, from the Rondo Caruso LeBron Kuz Morris. They played eight and a half minutes. They shot 14 of 16, 5 of 5 on threes, 6 steals, 2 offensive boards, and a block. They were a plus 21 in 8.5 minutes. And Rondo was a big part of that, right? And playing alongside LeBron, which makes us pull our hair out, right? It was it, it really spoke to the, like, it, and just the whole idea of, like, scheme versus focus and effort and all of that, right? When we talk about how the Lakers defended, like, how they defended in the third quarter was way more about them not doing their job and being locked in. The the player we saw tonight in Rondo, not just in compared to game one, but in really his entire tenure as a Laker, that was a guy who was locked in on defense, a guy who was who was focused, who was who was that secondary ball handler that made things easier for LeBron, who pushed tempo, got us easy shots. So it's not LeBron versus the world in a five on five type setting in half court situations. Like that guy tonight, man, is so important. I hope it's not a mirage. I hope it's a real thing because man, it's a it's it's like I said earlier, it's a game changer. This is what part I I will say this to, and I don't want to like bring this back to like talking a bunch of crap about Rajon Rondo, but over the course of his tenure with the Lakers, like over those ninety six games or whatever it's been, so two seasons or or whatever, he's probably had what like a dozen of these games, like fifteen of these games. Mm-hmm. This is the first like playoff series that Rondo has played in for the Lakers, and mm-hmm. so look. Having one of those in the playoffs matters a lot. And it matters exponentially more mm-hmm. in the same. Like, remember when we were like, hey, you know, like that guy, Dion Waiters, he may be able to win you a playoff game because he could get hot mm-hmm. and he could create some shots and mm-hmm. he could have one of those games where he goes like five for seven from three and he plays 17 or 18 minutes and he gets you 22 points, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this this game was Rondo's version. Right. He's not going to get you 22 right? points, but the... but No, but he had nine 10 assists. points. Mm-hmm. But he had 10 points and 9 assists. He only had a single turnover. He was disruptive defensively. He was locked in. Those are... that. Do I expect that to be an every game thing? Hell no. I don't. That said, 
give this dude his props. He was huge this game. And while this was not a must-win game for the Lakers, this series is now tied 1-1. And the Lakers got a game they they surely really wanted severely and on some levels just needed from a confidence standpoint. They can go back and look at the tape now and say like they could not do after game one, and they can point to actual positives and what it looks like when they're locked in. Remember on the last pod, you were, you were, you were talk, talking about how, hey man, like this game tape oh, might almost be useless mm-hmm. based off of the fact that like they weren't dialed in enough. They weren't locked in. You weren't doing their job. Yeah. What, what it would have like, what the execution was even would have even been because they weren't, they weren't engaged enough. Well, Now this team does have some game tape that sort of shows like this is what it can be. This is what it should look like. And now they're going into game three with honestly it with what I would hope is real confidence. They were trailing going into the fourth quarter. Houston scored 17 points. They shot 33% from the field in that fourth quarter. They only hit two of their 12 three-pointers, and some of that was Houston going cold, but more than some of that was the Lakers being back on mm-hmm. Houston, what they needed to be doing. Houston will go cold. Houston will go cold when you defend them like that, right? They get they get sped up, right? And like what you were saying with Westbrook earlier, Westbrook's already fast, so him getting sped up becomes wild. With Harden, when he gets sped up, he's He's going too fast on his mechanics because he's so skilled, right? But uh, so it's not a coincidence that they went cold, and all of a sudden those open jumpers, right? When you're when you're cold, you're because of how we're defending. Even if we make a mistake, you're going to have better results on that. But yeah, this, rhythm goes both ways. It does absolutely. Uh, really good win. Um, we got to stay focused. Like when we were focused in this game, we were you know we really took it to them, but they've got a haymaker. Whenever we let our guard down, they're going to bring that toward us. I thought we found some strategic things that worked. Benching Dwight, going with the no-big lineup that just absolutely massacred Houston with LeBron and, and spacing. Um, the one-two-two zone, the trapping should be part of it. I thought we you know, went to it a little that well a little too often, but uh, we found some things that, remember in, in game one, we were like, that didn't even look like a game plan for Houston, right? This was yeah. a more specific game plan for yeah. them, and it really helped out a lot. So it's a, a exciting Lakers win, one seventeen to one hundred nine, to tie the series at one. We've got game free game three coming up on Tuesday, but until then, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Darius, you got one more point. Just shout out to LeBron James, man, dude, almost had a triple double again. Mm-hmm. 11 defensive rebounds, shot 10 for 17 from from the field. He was 9 for 12 on two-point attempts, which right. tells you where he was living mm-hmm. as as a scorer this game. A lot of shots, point-blank range, right at the basket, really got out in the open court. A couple of big lob finishes from, from, from Caruso. I just thought it was not like one of those brilliant LeBron James games, right? Um, but I thought he was masterful in sort of controlling how things were going. Um, Great transition was, by him. He was phenomenal in transition. 
and really just went to the basket, man, a mm-hmm. bunch of times. Yeah. Um, and I thought really took advantage of Westbrook after Russ got his fifth foul yes. and basically hunted him mm-hmm. in a key portion of the game in order to sort of turn the game back in the Lakers' favor and, and really get them back on track when Harden was resting and Russ was in the game. And, and, and so we talked a lot this game about like a bunch of other guys, and it would have been weird to me if we had a yeah. whole it's, podcast <laughs> and, and and didn't talk any LeBron at all. But I just wanted to slip that in there at the end before we got out of here. That's the luxury of having one of those Mount Rushmore players on your team is that you get to take a 28-11-9 game on 10 of 17 shooting for granted as though, like, of course he did that. So, uh, very like I've said before, it's very nice to have playoff LeBron on your team. I highly recommend it. Uh, game three coming up on Tuesday. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it! Brian, yes, and that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? The NBA and NHL are playing for gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts.